0: Greetings, most excellent Theophilus, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The unbalanced nature of cancel culture has stricken yet again, this time affecting the world of the Star Wars fandom. Actress Gina Carano has unfortunately been let go from The Mandalorian. What horrible, wretched thing did she do to get let go, might you ask? Was she caught up in some sex scandal? Was she stealing personal items from on set? Was she enacting some sort of nefarious illegal activity? No, the actress simply passed on this message. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors. Even by children. Because history is edited. Most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? I happen to side with her. We seem to have forgotten our history, and so we are doomed to repeat it. The vicious cycle comes around again. No, the hypocrisy comes from Disney letting her go, but not letting Pedro Pascal go after comments relating what happened in concentration camps to what's happening at the border. See, fundamentally, Gina's comparison is a lot more accurate, because what is actually happening is our political realm and our media news realm are pushing narratives that are creating civil unrest, just as they did in Nazi Germany. Now, let's compare a concentration camp to what happened at an ice facility. Concentration camp. Jews were hauled away by trains given colored stars to match what particular group of people the Nazis wanted to oppress fell into, were divided up and sent into the camps with barracks with terrible sleeping conditions, they were malnourished, they were abused and beaten, and now the most particular part of it, uh, they were used for labor unto death. And additionally, many of them were sent into chambers to be gassed. Meanwhile, at an ICE facility, people of their own volition trying to enter this country have to go through a center where, yes, they are divided up for processing to make sure that they are eligible to enter the country. Conditions are bad due to the amount of people coming in. And in any scenario like that, there are going to be abuses and incidents. If you want a true modern-day image of the Holocaust, look to China and its handling of religious groups such as the Uyghur Muslims. We need to live not by lies, and we need to hold people to be consistent. And now for a brief excerpt from... Abigail Schreier's irreversible damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters, pick it up on Amazon now and live not by lies. The Salem witch trials of the 17th century are closer to the mark. So are the nervous disorders of the 18th century and the neurasthenia epidemic of the 19th century. Anorexia nervosa, repressed memory, Bulimia, and the cutting contagion of the 20th. One protagonist has led them all, notorious for magnifying and spreading her own psychic pain. The adolescent girl. Three decades ago, these girls might have hankered for liposuction while their physical forms wasted away. Two decades ago, today's trans-identified teens might have discovered a repressed memory of childhood trauma, Today's diagnostic craze isn't demonic possession, it's gender dysphoria, and its cure is not exorcism, laxatives, or purging, it's testosterone, and top surgery. (laughs) Indeed, I have pointed out in the past my posit of how when someone wants to slit their wrists, we say, hey... You need some therapy, maybe some antidepressants. Uh, If you're actively trying to kill yourself, we're going to put you in a room where you can't and give you some therapy. But when someone says, hey, I want to lob off my genitals, I want to put chemicals in me that are going to alter my body, I want to make myself infertile, we say, oh yeah, sure, we'll even help you. Except... (laughs) <laughs> both both are based on mental disorder. Both are reactions by the victim uh, to a mental disorder. So why the difference? huh? Why are we firing the Republican woman who compares the Holocaust to our current political climate? and why are we not firing the non-republican who's making the same comparison why are we trying to stop the person why are we trying to stop the suicidal person from going through with what their mental disorder is telling them to do but the person who wants to make themselves infertile wants to be what they are not made to be why are we letting them why why are we having why are there exceptions and encouragements this is something severely spoken against in scripture james chapter 2 my brothers as believers in our glorious lord jesus christ don't show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a golden ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who loved him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Romans two, eleven. for God does not show favoritism. Wait, what's the four there for? starting back at verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. We must call good things good, and evil things evil, for the Bible testifies, woe, Unto those who call evil good, and good evil, who put light for dark, and dark for light, bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. But we live in such a wicked and rebellious generation that would much rather forget even a modicum of that worldview. And that's really bad for America, because this country was founded upon the worldview of Scripture. In order to truly rebel against religion, against God, one must deny this country. And they have the great new religion of death and body dysmorphia. The societal messiah of gender reassignment and child genocide. Where, if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, your own family will rat you out. Where presidents get impeached a second time after they've already lost the office for actions that were premeditated before he even gave a speech. where the far right can be blamed for an event that was spearheaded by a member of the far left. Yeah, that's right. The primary guy in charge of that is understood to be an Antifa member. Hmm. A day and age where the left can riot and loot, looting black businesses and killing retired black cops over the course of 12 months. But one day, one day, a group of Republicans... Does in kind, and everybody loses their minds. The world around us is going mad. And I can tell you why. Romans one eighteen. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all they neither glorified him as god nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened for although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way... Men also abandoned natural relations with woman and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, god-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree. That those who do such things deserve death. They do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That is Paul, and according to the Spirit God's treatise, on the problem with humanity. It is a wicked world, because we love sin more than we love God. Isaiah 3, verse 4. I will make boys their officials. Mere children will govern them. People will oppress each other. Man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old. The base against the honorable. A man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge in this heap of ruins. But in the day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe unto them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Twelve youths oppress my people. Women rule over them. O my people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. think if Isaiah had been around today... He could be repeating this same message. Just as Jerusalem, America is on a downward spiral into chaos. There are people who parade their sin like Sodom. And not only do they parade it like Sodom, and they fail to hide it, but their sin is the same as Sodom. Women ruling over us. I mean, we know which of the two vice versus full-on president has the brains in the operation. Now, something I find strange about that is... uh, Two presidencies ago, we had a white vice president and a black president. Now we have a black vice president and a white president. And what I find interesting is that in both scenarios, we are hearing little to nothing from the vice president. Huh. Not only are they, have we not heard anything, well, okay, in general, we're not hearing anything from the black woman. We should be hearing everything from her. It's a miracle, a black woman in the vice presidency. You'd think they'd want to be covering just about everything she had to say. It's funny how that is, isn't it? Let's see. I think I might have enough questions to actually pad out the rest of the program for today. So, let's take a look at that. Theologia. Oh, bother. That's a mouthful. Theologia Theologia Viatorum <whistles> Uh <laughs> Uh asks what has been the most helpful resource for you in learning how to study the bible um it has actually been um getting um actually i guess realistically the primary thing i have used has been um bible hub <laughs> but uh, of course there's also the more physical versions of that sort of thing such as my interlinear bible which has the original languages Um, I have a Greek New Testament Uh, I have a pocket concordance I have an Art and Gingrich concordance Uh, no that's not a concordance both of those things I just said I meant to say lexicon not concordance correct that (laughs) Um, I do have a concordance the Strong's Expanded Exhaustive Concordance, Um, and those have been actually a fair good amount of help for word study. Um, It's also been good to get in touch with just very biblically sound-minded, grounded people, and to hear multiple opinions, and then appeal to the scriptures and histories and evidences to see what seems correct. Because when we look at John 1.1, 1, 1, <laughs> I mean, if, if someone says, you know, oh, that's, you know, Jesus is just another God. Well, that doesn't make sense with the rest of scripture. Because there's only one God. <laughs> and also Randall Sharp's rule in Greek grammar and yada yada yada. And now to plug where this QA is coming from. And where you can go to add to next week's is a little place on TikTok called Stephen the Stowell. That is my account on there, all one word, capitalized uh, the start of each particle word, Stephen, the, and Stowell. Uh, let us continue. How do Protestants interpret James 2? Why did Luther want to get rid of it? How do we know the Bible hasn't been changed? There's technically a part two. Also, how do we know God exists, and how do we know Christ resurrected? Those were all asked by the Catholic fetus. So let's tackle that chronologically. How do Protestants interpret James 2? Well, let us start off by reading this questioned passage. James, there we go. I actually started reading this. I'll actually just continue from where I left off. If you, verse 8, if you keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law, the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, then, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead." But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good! Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish men, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor? Oh, some early manuscripts dead in what I just read. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that person that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith, alone? Mm. The Greek there is manon, and according to the lexicons I've read, when manon follows a verb, which the form of pistos there, meaning faith, is in a verb form, when it follows, it's not really alone, it's only carrying on, I'll continue with my explanation there in a moment, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off to a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, if the proper translation of Manan contextually would be only, you see that a person is not justified by what by what he does, and not by faith only. Mm, I see, justified. The underlying Greek for justified is dikaiotai, which comes from dikaiō, which means to show to be righteous, to declare righteous. So we see that a man is declared righteous by what? By, let's refer back to that very literal translation. Two clicks back. Three clicks back? Two clicks back. Uh, Harate Hoti Ex Ergon De coyote, you see that a man is justified, or you see that by works justified, justified a man, and not by pistuus menon, not by faith only. So a man is declared righteous. Man is declared righteous. So an action is occurring. <laughs> Implic- implicatorily. And the question is certainly, to what audience, to what audience is one justified? Are we being justified before God? Well, Paul says many, many, many times that it is by grace through faith that we are right with God, not works. That we were washed, justified, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ. But what is James saying here? You see that his faith and actions were working together, verse 22. So, you see. Hmm. We are seeing. In fact, even at the start of that, James was saying... I will show you, I will show you that I, my faith, by my actions. So this is about person-to-person interaction. The epistle of James is wisdom in living literature. It's not telling us how to be right with God. It's telling us how we are to interact as Christians. Just as Proverbs doesn't tell us how to be right with God, it tells us wisdom. It gives us wisdom. Leviticus told the Jews how to be right with God. And Paul even states that Abraham was justified before he put Isaac on the altar because of when the passage takes place that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That occurs before. Abraham is, if I remember correctly, now let me double check. Genesis 15, that's where we are. Actually, let's just read this passage to get the full context. After this, the word of Yahweh came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Alternatively, your reward will be very great. But Abraham, but Abram, oh, this was Abram, not Abraham yet, said, "O Sovereign Yahweh, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza, of Damascus." And Abraham and Abram said. You have given me no children so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of Yahweh came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son is coming from your own body to be from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, "Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them." Then he said to him, "So shall be your offspring. Abraham believed Yahweh, and he credited it to him as righteousness. A side note in the Greek, that would be the daver Yahweh, the Word of the Lord. <laughs> uh, or as John wrote it, the Logos. The same Daber who came to Yehoshua in the book of Joshua. <laughs> But I digress, you heard from the context, this happened before the altar situation. uh, Before Ishmael or Isaac had come along. So what we have there is Abraham's faith. And what we see later when he puts it on the altar is the proof of that faith. The exterior proof and evidence of it. That being works. But James made it very clear that works are not what are saving us. Because the law convicts us. We cannot do, we cannot uphold the law of God by ourselves. We will fall. We will fail. If we transgress in one area, we have transgressed period. So no, James 2 does not pose an issue to sola (laughs) sola scriptura. I mean, it does not, no. Um, It does not pose an issue to sola fide, which says we are justified before God by faith alone. Of course, simply saying we have faith to a brother in Christ should elicit the response You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by them. That's the whole point of making our faith known amongst the brethren. Read James in context. It's wisdom literature. It's telling you how to walk out your faith. It's not telling you on what ground your faith stands. So that's how we interpret James 2, in context, by examining the original language, the words surrounding the words being used, um, any Old Testament references being made, cultural, societal stuff. Now on to the next part of the question, why did Luther want to get rid of it? (sighs) Well... It's, I, I'd have to look over everything that he had to say about it. My understanding is that he did not really want to get rid of it per se. Um, he did not see it as a very strong passage of Scripture. Um, and he did worry that people would do as Peter warned. In Second Peter, when the Apostle writes, <clears throat> his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own discussion. Just destruction, sorry. Uh, now, Peter wrote that of Paul, but, of course, Luther saw James as something that the un- trained, the unreadied person would be lulled into Catholicism by. But if you read the Pauline corpus, you will see a strong affirmation of sola scriptura. Uh, Well, no, not not scriptura, ecclesi... No, (laughs) words! (laughs) I... Ooh, my brain is showing how little sleep I've been getting lately. Um... So la fide, faith alone. Because Paul writes about how we are saved, James is writing about how we need to walk out that salvation. There are clear distinctions, but Luther was smart enough to know that people would not get those distinctions. And this isn't the first time that anyone in the church has gone like, Hey, this book could be problematic. That is why the apocalypse is pushed to the back of the Bible. That's why it was one of the last books to be canonized, is because, well, to be officially, formally, in every way, shape, and form, canonized and recognized, is because it was, it was, and still is, used by cults. It is very easily used by cults, because it's out there. (laughs) The question is then asked, how do we know the Bible hasn't been changed? We have over 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek New Manuscripts. Greek New Testament Manuscripts, not New Manuscripts. We have 10,000 Latin manuscripts and 9,300 manuscripts in various other ancient languages, these being Syriac, Slavic, Gothic, Ethiopic, Coptic, and Armenian. That's the people, not the theology camp. Let me look up Codex Sinaiticus and compare to the Greek New Testaments. Actually, I'm going to go back to our earliest Ever uh, manuscript P fifty two, which is I've heard is dated as early as ninety AD to as late as one fifty AD. Hoy Udio Hemen Hodena Hina Ola. Ten is Rion Opa. That's fragmentary of a fuller sentence. Translated the Jews for us. Anyone so that the wo- oak signify die ent, reum pilate and set Jews from John eighteen thirty four through thirty six. The Jews for us it is not permitted to kill anyone so that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke say signifying what kind of death. He was going to die, entered therefore into the praet- praetorium, Pilate, and summoned Jesus, and said to him, Thou art the King of the Jews. Let us read that from Sinaiticus. Oh, apologies, that vote that. Specific verse quotation I'd said earlier was actually the parts that were lost. It starts at 31. Line 31, starting from Ayudayo Amin Auk Ezekti Apochionai Aude. Translation the Jews then said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Next verse Hina ho logos ton you play. What in there? Tau, are you? Hmm. Yeah, and in the original that line reads I think the Iota Upsilon The Iota Upsilon is probably a um, what are those called? What are those called? Um It's when they basically abbreviate uh a divine name. So, the, uh, <laughs> other than that, it reads the same. But of course, to read it from my Greek New Testament Ayuda Himin Alk, Ezestin Ayuda Hina Hologos Ton Aiso. Plerothe. Plerothe. So, what we've proven here is I am not very good at reading Greek. <laughs> but that's okay. My focuses are word study, not recitation. But what we have when he, we compare these three different examples, the earliest example we have of this verse versus Codex Sinaiticus from the 300s versus this compiled Greek New Testament that I have from like the turn of the last century uh, or the beginning of the last century um, is consistent. We know that we have the word of God preserved because that is what the evidence shows, that the 5,000-plus manuscripts are consistent. And we document and catalog where they differ, and we understand where the text um, came from and how it morphed uh, when, their, when textual variation did arise. Uh, we can trace all of that like a genealogy. And through that, through all of the extant evidence, we are confident that all of the original readings are preserved. And if all of the readings are preserved, we know that it hasn't truly been changed. And frankly, if we're going to believe in God, then we know it hasn't been changed because no God is worthy of worship whose word can be changed to the point of being lost i have no problem with textual criticism with textual variation because it venerates our scriptures so he then asks how do we know god exists well (laughs) uh, we can look to his perfectly preserved word and we can see countless prophecy that was fulfilled Find me a prophecy in the Bible that didn't come to pass. I'll wait. It's even documented in history that Jesus' own prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem saved the Christians in that area. They saw the Roman armies coming, and they fled, and they lived. And Jesus said that it would be terrible for women in those days. And women, women with children... And things got so bad that some women who had children, yeah, documented. They turned to cannibalism, which is, funny enough, actually a Old Testament curse. A covenant-breaking curse, actually. Let us turn to Leviticus. Leviticus 29, 29? 27, 29. Right? 27, 20. Oh, brother. Nope, sorry. 26, 29. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. I will abhor you. And that lovely passage starts with twenty-seven. If in spite of this you still do not (sighs) Sorry about that. If in spite of this you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, then my anger will be hostile towards you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and your daughter and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. I will abhor you. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste to your sanctuaries. I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. And that covenant curse came to bear in 70 AD. And because of the testimony of prophecy and the illogic of nature not coming from God. I mean, just on a clear night... Just look at the stars, and while you're looking at those in that, at that amazing, vast array, listen to the crickets around you and nature hum. Do you really think that that all came from nothing? Could you honestly think that that all came from nothing? Those stars so perfectly placed to form constellations. So perfectly fine-tuned as to even exist. Those grasshoppers. How does does a creature evolve a mating pattern? It has to have a mating pattern to begin with. And where did that come from? There is an irreducible complexity in nature, in humans, in every living thing. God has given us a general revelation so that man is without excuse. How do we know Christ resurrected? Well, the Bible is the earliest attested document uh, of the ancient world, of antiquity. What that means is that from the event being talked about to when it was recorded, we have the earliest attestation for the Bible. Uh, Alexander the Great, hundreds of years after, we finally get people writing about him. Um, you know, any look at, look at any sort of work from uh, the era of writing known about antiquity. Um, and you'll find that the Bible has the earliest happening to recording attestation. Not to mention, evidentially, we know the New Testament was written even earlier than our earliest manuscript. It's possible that P-52 was a second or third generation manuscript. If we go with the most, most, most conservative that I like to vouch for of 90 AD as a date, then that is only two year twenty years after the latest John could have been well the rate the latest that the, that John could have been writing actually because his primary writings, his gospel eh, does his gospel actually make reference to it? Revelation and actually no, yes, yes, yes. John's in the Gospel of John, it makes reference to a pool. Uh, Bethsaida, Bethsaida or Bethesda? Bethsaida. As being presently standing in Jerusalem. Meaning that if John had written after the fall of Jerusalem, it would have been ridiculous to say it is presently standing there. Thus pushing the date of John back. Before 70 A.D. Revelation, though I believe it has a double fulfillment, also talks about Nero Caesar and his persecution of the Christians and the tribulation in general. That would be pre-70 A.D. And we and scholars understand it to be the latest gospel, meaning the others would have had to have come before. So not only do we have a very early event to recording in the most literal sense of the initial recording that we have the earliest attestation for that compared to any other work of antiquity so if we can't consider the Bible at least trustworthy to be what was originally written down then we have no reason to trust anything else that can be labeled a work of antiquity Who knows if Alexander the Great actually existed because we have no reason to trust what was written about him if we can't trust the New Testament. Now trusting it says what it says and believing it is something else and I believe that the prophecies coming true testifies to that. Additionally, Jesus was mentioned by other people such as Tacitus, Pliny, uh, Josephus. Additionally, I'd recommend I have an ...finished reading the book The Case for Christ. Uh, It's a very good one. It's basically a hyper-logical, methodical dissection... ...of the evidence for the resurrection. Or actually, I believe it's for the life of Christ as well, in general. Um, But, as David Wood said... if (laughs) ...if someone comes back from the dead why we they, there's every reason to listen to what they have to say and if Jesus rose from the dead and he told us what comes after we should listen to him auto Christian 98 asks what's your take on Calvinism <laughs> oh boy I wrote a whole treatise on my tick um woof I hold Calvinism and Armenianism as... Two sides of a coin. What I want to do is I want to sample the metal in the middle. On the one side of the coin you have man everywhere. On the other side of the coin you have God everywhere. I'm looking for in the middle where the metals are alloyed together and there's that that testimony of scripture that it's god and it's grace but it's man that there's man in that Um, and it's a lot more complicated than that i my words could easily be minced in what i've just said even um i've 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 talked a lot about this a lot um if you look over my other episodes of excellent theophilus you'll kind of get my view on things Found if he asks something Christological? I found my own Christology is lacking in my discussion with Muslims when they accuse the hypostatic union of being a contradiction. Also, that wasn't meant to be a reply to the comment, but whatever. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with the basics. Shema Yisrael Yahweh Yahweh Echad Hero is Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Echad. You can have an echad of grapes. Um, the man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become echad, flesh. One flesh. One can be used to signify a unity. So the question is, if God is 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 God a unity? Well, Scripture testifies to a plurality within the nature of God. Uh, in <clears throat> in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, Yahweh reigns down fire from Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh is often confused, is often referred to as Yahweh, speaks as if he's Yahweh in Judges chapter 2. In Zechariah, let me read that actually. Actually, let me read each of these just so like, Oftentimes, these are made reference to by people, but they're not actually read through, so I'm gonna I'm I'm be good on you. Genesis nineteen twenty three. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. 24. Then Yahweh rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh out of the heavens. Wait, so there's a Yahweh who came down to talk with Abraham. And he's now raining down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh. Who is out of of heaven. So there's a simultaneous Yahweh on the earth and Yahweh in heaven. Hmm, interesting. Next we see Exodus 3, 2. There the angel, or messenger, the Melech, Yahweh... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Verse 4 Then Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush. Wait a second, the angel of Yahweh was in the bush. But now Yahweh himself is talking? In fact, he even says the lovely passage. Um, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Well, now, that's quite, quite interesting. Jesus said, me ego ego meaning I am, being the same word translated of Exodus 3.14 in the Septuagint. And, of course, they tried to stone him. They're supposed to stone people for blasphemy. Hmm. Sounds like Jesus was claiming to be God. And in Judges 2, we have the angel of Yahweh went up to Gilgal, from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you to, into the land that I swore to give your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? When the angel of Yahweh, that's the angel of Yahweh spoke these things. But it's God who brought them up out of Egypt. It's God who gave them the land. It's God who made a covenant with them. So this angel of Yahweh. Is talking as if he is Yahweh, but he's be but he's identified as a distinct person. In Yahhoshua, in Joshua, we see over and over again the word of the Lord coming to Joshua to Zechariah. Zechariah two, ten through eleven. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For I am coming, and I will live among you, declares Yahweh. Many nations will be joined with my people, and I will live among you, and you will know that Yahweh Almighty has sent me to you. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And of course, Zechariah, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, no, not Zechariah, Jeremiah, as I've read in the past, directly says that in the day of the Davidic kingdom, our king will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. So the Old Testament very clearly sets up the Trinity, sets up the groundwork for it, showing the plurality of God, and showing consistently this figure who, in light of the New Testament, we understand to be the pre-incarnate Jesus, acting as the agent of Of the Father acting as Yahweh, being, well, He is, as to His very nature, Yahweh. So, the doctrine of the Trinity there is one being, Yahweh, who is God, Yahweh Elohim. But as to His nature, He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons who are one being. The Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Spirit, and etc., etc. Just as we, we are made in the image of God. So, let's compare. We are, you are one you, but you are comprised of a mind, a body, and a soul. Your mind is intrinsically you, your body is intrinsically you, and so is your soul. But your mind is not your body, nor your body, your soul. Yet, these three elements are one you. You. And they function simultaneously, Matthew 3, 16-17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There we see the Son... <laughs> The Spirit and the Father acting simultaneously, yet independently, spatially independently from each other. Now, as to the hypostatic union, we see that in Philippians 2. The Carmen Christi, the hymn to Christ, 2-5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking to them about having humility. Jesus Christ who, being in the very morphe, form, or nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking on the very morphe, form, or nature, of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what we see here is the definition of the hypostatic union. Jesus has two natures. He has two morphes. He has the morphe theos, the nature of God. That he also has the morphe, morphe, uh, that actually technically be dulos, so it says servant first, the morphe dulos, the the, f, the f nature of man. He is truly God, and he is truly man. I, I would not use any other Wording for that other than he is truly God and he is truly man. So the mortal flesh body Christ died in every sense on the cross. But God, as far as his soul and spirit and godhood are concerned, yes, he experienced death, but he did not cease. To be on the cross for the soul, the spirit lives on after death. God, especially, moreover, is immortal. I'd suggest studying the doctrine of the Trinity, studying what scripture has to say getting familiar with these things, uh, looking up to people who know way more about this, um, and seeing what they say, testing it by scripture, and if what they say holds up, run with it. If it doesn't, don't. On a random video, what did you say? It says, God's name is use almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament, yet the church took it out. Ah, uh, we don't, um, translators have decided to side with the side of Jewish history that doesn't, um, really write the divine name. So they translate it by, um, using the letters L-O-R-D in all caps to show, so that they're not having to make a judgment on how to uh translate yahweh i think they should liter transliterate yhwh or just put in the actual hebrew letters um please 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 don't not with vowels vowels are cringe (laughs) and mk abel polk says yahweh is just a tetragrammaton it's not yahweh it was never mentioned in the new testament But Jesus cries, Eli, Eli. Um, Think about it. So there seems to be some back and forth between me and another TikToker, and I would like to present it and comment on it. So here was my original response to them.
1: Then why are there thousands of different interpretations?
0: Probably never see this, but hi, anyways. And first off, that's kind of hyperbolic to say that there's that many different interpretations. I think James White summarized it best when he was remissing about an encounter with a Mormon. Mormon said, oh, I could, I could never be Protestant because there are just so many different interpretations. Why are there so many different interpretations? And James White said, it's because people choose not to believe in certain parts of it. And so they get into this whole discussion about their faiths. And at the end, James White is showing him and talking to him about this verse in Ephesians. It's probably about justification by faith alone and not works. And he points to it and he says, I know that that's not true. And James White says, you've just demonstrated my point, sir. So in response to that, I got a brief video series out of her, apparently. Um, <clears throat> The person in question goes by the teen papist on TikTok.
1: Stephen, you seem to be a bit confused. The various approved rites of the Catholic Church exist for good reason and express the same faith, just in different ways and styles. They have the same beliefs, the same church, same founder, just expressed slightly differently. It is not sectarianism. We are all united in Christ who is our head, and the Pope who serves as our visible head, given to us by Christ Himself.
0: <sighs> different practices um that uh, summarize what she said, um, same founder. Hmm, okay. Uh that's denominal that's denominational is that's the same way that Protestant denominations are. Uh, we have different practices. <laughs> yeah. But continue.
1: So when you made the jesuits are a sect of the church and the roman another different sect yeah that is not accurate
0: well yeah because um the jesuits have their set of how they carry out their faith and especially the jesuits that come out of boston college are liberals (laughs) and one of them is the pope i mean i don't know if he came from boston college but he clearly espouses very liberal theology And I think when someone very clearly espouses variant theology from you, they can no longer be considered of the same sect.
1: Stephen, you seem to be a bit confused. The various approved rites of the Catholic Church
0: exist... Oh, did that just loop? Okay. To the next one.
1: You see, God promised Abraham, Moses, Jacob, etc., a people, and they were to worship God how he wanted to be worshipped. He was their God and they were his people, who were awaiting the Messiah who would teach them more fully how to worship him in spirit and in truth. Christ came to earth and fulfilled the old covenant and established a new one in his own precious blood, but he also instituted a church upon his apostles, and after the Holy Spirit descended upon them, they were established as one unified body, with a clear hierarchy even among the apostles and their immediate successors.
0: Uh, can you demonstrate from Scripture this clear hierarchy among the apostles? I don't think you truly can.
1: Christ is our starting point, and we are able to form a direct apostolic line that leads all the...
0: Apostolic, but anyways.
1: ...way to us here today.
0: Interesting. Interesting, when there were multiple popes at one time, if I remember correctly. A bigger issue is that, um... Yes, you are thinking of the church as the governing body. Um, However, scripture testifies to the church being the body of Christ, not a governing body. And that is what Christ established. Thou art Petras, and on this Petra, notice the difference in gender which denotes that those are not referring to the same substance. You are Petras. And on this Petra, on so what would be this basis? Whoops. Rock meaning basis. What would be this basis that is being founded upon? Well, Peter had just made a statement of faith that you are the live, son of the living God. So on the basis of faith... That Jesus is the Christ. Christ built his body. We are built into this temple. We are living stones. We are members of the body of Christ, which is his church, of which he is the head. We are his bride. He is our groom. Paul instituted the governmental side of things, and in that he did not even mention the role of Pope. Or priest beyond Christ, Christ is our priest. He is our great high priest, of whom sacrifice was once and is for all time. The Bible speaks nothing of passing on a these apostolic things the way that you um, appear uh, seem to the way that the Catholic faith approaches them. We have apostolic credence in that we follow the teachings of the apostles, what they passed down, recorded in scripture. The Catholic Church claims to be founded on apostolic tradition, that's the 2,000-year-old teaching of the church, and yet the development hypothesis had to be created because you cannot demonstrate that many of the dogmas are the 2,000-year-old teaching of the church show me the earliest church fathers who actually taught the marian dogmas not in their fullness but even in their foreshadow even in their part the same way the old testament alluded to the trinity show me that please if it was the understanding of the church then it should ring true through the fathers and there shouldn't be discretion amongst trusted fathers Yet, there are things that have been declared de fide, meaning believe this, that have been dogmatized. Believe this, or you can't find salvation with the church. You are anathema. Except the Bible says that the faith was once delivered to the saints. And I believe that that once delivered faith is recorded in the Bible. As a Catholic, you have to believe that that once-delivered faith is actually an amorphic, ever-developing depository. If you're being serious, you have to agree that your faith is built on that which changes, and mine is built on that which will never at its core change. My understanding of it will change. Semper reformundum, Always reforming. Always conforming to the word of God. So you might be wondering, most excellent Theophilus, how do I get into these Q&A sections? Well, I already said earlier on, seek out my TikTok, Stephen the Stowell, all one word, capitalize each start of the fragment, Stephen the Stowell, on TikTok, you'll find me. You can ask me questions. I can theoretically find my Instagram at the same uh, user, but I might not see it. Uh, You can leave a comment. You can wait till the day that I can post the video, and you can comment it on the video. That makes it nice and easy. Uh, You can direct message me. Certainly. Um, as well. Oh no, he struck again. Oh boy, that mech person. Um, just because you pronounce it, that does not make it a name. Ela Elohim, Adakir our names. No, 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 no. Oh no, 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 no. We're gonna. <laughs> Ooh, okay, gotta almost gotta stop for the next segment, huh? All right, actually gonna respond via tick a talk. Now, first, you say that Yahweh is not his name, however, Isaiah 42 8 reads, I am Yahweh, that is my name. <laughs> Additionally, Elohim is the plural form of the term Elo, which means God, modified to be Eli, such as My God or Eloheinu. which means our God, such as in the Shema Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Here Hero is your Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Leave your conspiracy theories at the door, bud, and let's actually study what the Bible has to say about its own use of language, shall we? <laughs> oh, bother, that was. That was bad. That was bad, wasn't it? Mm, To quote that in the Greek, Ani Yahweh Hu Shemai. Shemai? Shemai? Shemi? Shemi. Ani Yahweh Hu Shemi. That. It's these weird, these weird Ugaritic, cultic people with their very, very (laughs) laughably bad ideas. It's kind of funny. It's also just very sad. Um, And I think we're going to call it there for today, Most Excellent Theophilus. So, your benediction. Jesus spake these things to his disciples as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you, against you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go in the peace and love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Have a good week, and God bless.